0: Hey guys, this is the Leadership to Wealth podcast and uh, I'm here with my guest today, Karel uh, Gomez. Karel, uh, nice to have you
1: on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me,
1: Neil. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your show. Thank you,
0: thank you. Well, I look, I want to get into talking about your business success, how you've built in that and all that, but I, I just want to get into first, really, because we're primarily about leadership. <laughs> And so I want to talk about what do you see as the impact or role of, uh, say, your father in your life growing up and and how you see that playing out to to who you are now and how you've built yourself up?
1: So, um, you know, unfortunately, my father passed away many years ago. I was 23. Um, But he was a very important figure in my life. I grew up in show business, believe it or not. My father was a uh, musician and uh, a singer. He was the true version of Ricky Ricardo from the I Love Lucy show. My father was the host of the Cuban Tropicana Club. He was that Ricky Ricardo in, in, the, in the flesh in the uh, early 60s. And that's where he met my mother. Uh, but my father was a hard worker. Everything he did, he did the best he could at it, no matter what role he was in. Uh, living in a country that, that turned uh, communist in, during his prime years as a showman, he realized and he had to experience life as someone who was not in favor of the government. And so he was taken from show business into um, the fields to cut sugarcane just because he was not in favor of the communist government. Uh, But no matter what they did, he um, persevered and overcame and just kept going. Never was broken. No one could break him. And so what I got from my father was that same don't break um, uh, personality where you can beat me, but you're not going to beat me, right? You you can't break me. And and so... I've I've used that in my perseverance in my business and my financial growth in life is to overcome the obstacles as they come. They do not uh, divert me from my goal, uh, whichever that goal may be. And and business specifically is to grow the the largest company that I can build. Wow.
0: Uh, can I just ask a quick question because I think it's it's relevant, especially for some things that we're dealing with here in Canada. Uh, did your father ever express or share a little bit about what that was like um, in in the regime change and going from uh, what was before to, to communist? Did he ever talk about that at all?
1: Yeah, quite a bit. Uh, my father was very displeased with the government change, because he was censored. Being a showman, uh, an onstage uh, singer, entertainer, and, and joke maker as entertainers on stage, you can imagine, you do all of the above. Um, he was censored. There was things he had to stop saying, things he, he could no longer joke about. He could not make jokes of, of the government, You know things he did before. So yeah. that started to really hinder his ability to do his job. And so yeah. that's when he decided this is not for me and, and renounced the government. But when he was on radio, and he, you know, he did his live show, and then he was on radio, and on radio they 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 really um, um, censored as the word I was looking for, they censored him quite a bit. And yeah. and then as as the the regime started to really take stronghold in Cuba, things just started. To disappear, supplies, uh, food, everything was rationed, and and it really became difficult to lead the same kind of life that you led prior to Fidel Castro. Um, and, and so it, it was a very uncomfortable and very difficult time and thing to get accustomed to. You know, today Cuba's been communist for so long that people are just used to living in that regime, but it's still not, not a good regime. Right.
0: right. Wow. wow. That that is so interesting considering that uh, you know, our current prime minister here in Canada, um, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau, his father, of course, was good friends with Fidel Castro. And um, you know, there's even been speculation that uh Justin isn't isn't Pierre's son, he's actually Fidel's son, but that's uh uh-huh. we're we're not even gonna go down that one, but uh uh-huh. we are actually seeing certain things here. Politically, where there's a, a bill right now called C-11, where they're actually talking about, they don't call it a censorship bill, but it literally is talking about um, censoring some of the, the things on air and what, what's allowed. So uh, that's a very unique perspective for me to hear. Uh, yeah. what, what Look, you,
1: I come from a family, not only my father was affected, my mother, my uncle, God, yeah. you know, thank God he's still alive. He's 84 years old. He spent 30 years as a political Cuban prisoner in underwear. He refused to wear a prisoner uniform, much like the rest of his counterparts, prisoners with them, political prisoners, because they opposed that regime that was so horrible, still is. Right? The Cuban people are 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 limited to almost everything um through this government. And when you know, people talk about communist government. Uh, it's it's socialism, it's equality. It's, it's, it's not. It's a bunch of BS, quite honestly. Equality means everybody's poor and everybody's bad. That's all that means. And um, for my family, it was a direct hit. Uh, now, my uncle lives with us today here in America. He lives uh, alongside with my mom, and they live a great life uh, here, free. But uh, Cuba was, you know, that communist thing. Don't let anyone fool yeah. you. Socialism was not good. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of people, people they they have a disconnect. They don't understand what how it looks or how it'll really affect you. And uh, a lot of people have this ideal uh, ideology that somehow it'll be it's fairer and it's good for everybody. And you know, we want everyone to to have yeah. something, not realizing what the, what the overall impact is. And so I appreciate you talking about that. Yeah. Even and and that I can get into it
1: in detail if you like, but I don't think that's what your, your show is about today. Anyway.
0: <laughs> it's not, but it definitely affects, um, on the finance side, right. On, on yeah. making money in that. And, uh, it's, it's relevant for me because I can tell you that actively I have investors that are, uh, a whole number of people that are currently worried about what the environment here is in canada and how it'll change because the steps that are occurring the things that are happening they are really looking at it as this is a massive move towards that even if everyone like nobody says this is what we're going to do beforehand you just right. move in that direction and then all of a sudden everyone wakes up and they find out they're in a they're actually in a communist country
1: the the thing is you don't realize you're in a socialist environment until it's too late, right? And then it it takes an act of God to to act of war, really, to to reverse it. Um, and so you've got to pay attention to the science like you're doing, like you just mentioned, uh, and don't let it happen. Vote in the right in the right way, uh, because socialism or equality isn't equal. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think uh, what we have right now is too many people, and and so it actually f- falls into this area of leadership and wealth because a lot of people have lost the connection to those life lessons, and uh, you know a lot of the lessons that you're even going to provide to us here and share with us uh, from your own experience, people have lost that connection to the hard work, to the effort that that's involved even to what you were just saying earlier about uh you know people can beat you but they can't break you Mm -hmm. right is is a lesson that people don't want to teach right now our school systems don't want to teach that right now because somehow that's that's not good because what happens if someone gets beaten on and um you know that that's not good for them and but but we realize that when children don't develop that that ability to uh, to be resilient yeah yeah to defend themselves whether physically mentally emotionally then it makes it harder for them to be resilient as they go further on in their life whether it be a relationship whether it be a business whether it be a job whether it be health whatever it is there are just certain lessons that don't get built up right Uh, it's it's it's
1: uh the, the the most relevant analogy i can make When your body is attacked by a virus, it creates a defense mechanism. It creates a war to fight that virus. How can you not teach your kids? And I'm not saying teach your kids to fight, but you have to teach your kids to defend themselves because there's bad people out there. No matter how good we try to make this world, there's bad people out there. And those people are going to cross their paths and they're going to have to learn how to defend themselves, whether it's verbally, politically. Financially or physically, if, if if need be, but you've got to build that resiliency and be able to defend because people will try to hurt you in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, again, may not be physically, but there's other ways that they will try to hurt you as you grow up and 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 life happens, and you you have to build that resiliency just like you said, Neil. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean,
0: I've, my kids are all teenagers now, but when they were younger and. And one would be like, oh, you know, uh, you know, my my son, one beating up on the other and he's like, he he's hitting me. Good. Hit him back. (laughs) Uh, Now, my wife didn't agree with it, but I was like, no, you guys need to fight. I I promoted it and she didn't agree with. But I said they out there cannot be the first time that they ever have to deal with conflict. Right, oh, absolutely. Here we can create a safe environment, let them have conflict, let them go through that, let them learn how to make up, uh, yeah, you know, how to have disagreements, and so that out there isn't the first time that
1: I I have two daughters, one's 20, one's 14. They fight like cats and dogs, it's normal course of life. I have my sister and I, when we were growing up, oh, my God, did we ever get into some fights? Her and I, and I'm not promoting or, or condoning fighting. I'm just saying between siblings, that's what you do as a kid. Um, then when you grow up, you try not to fight too much, but you may end up in some fights too. Yeah,
0: but you have you have to have a certain amount of respect for it. Yeah, uh, to know, right? Otherwise, you, you'll you put yourself into situations where you can really be hurt. And I think you actually, uh, we were sharing uh, beforehand, uh, we were talking about your name, and uh, some of what you have dealt with, you know, with that, I, I can say, you know, with my name, first of all, people would see me and they'd think, oh, it can't be Neil, it's got to be something different, because uh, look, this guy's colored. And how do we say that? And they would, try and pronounce it in some funny way and then my last name uh i actually got the nickname for a while dr seuss because they, <laughs> or is it Susie to Susie, or they they wouldn't know and so wow you, you know now for you i mean we were just talking obviously uh when people look at your name rather than thinking of superman and calling you uh. carrell they they were probably calling you carol
1: yeah. Yeah. And as a kid growing up, I hated it. You know, I did not want to be called a girl's name. So I was called Carol and and I would get so upset. And sometimes I get into fights with, with kids. I'm talking elementary school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that I will get into into fights because, hey, I'm not a girl. Don't call me Carol. You know, funny today I get advertisement for for women's underwear because they think, hey, Carol, women's underwear for you because they, they, they think it's, it's a girl. Um, and so, but as a kid, yeah, I had a, a rough time with it today. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but it is Corel, not Carol. Um, yeah. and it's not a girl's name. It's a guy's yeah. name. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, you know, that's, I, that's, I that's just, well, I, I
0: appreciate that because one of the things that I learned to appreciate being, when I was younger elementary school and people saying my name, even then the high school, people saying my name wrong all the time and um having bosses when i was working that still would say all sorts of things you really i really learned the value of someone's name i used to just pass it off and then i realized this is the, this is the sound that this person's mother would make when calling them and oh. they say that it's the to a person their name is the most beautiful sound in the world and and so i really think it's it's important and it's a sign of honor to be able to say someone's name the way that it's supposed to be said. Um, Absolutely. That's that's what they've... That's I agree. They've gotten, I, I right? think
1: it's definitely the most recognizable sound that a human being yeah. from anywhere in the world um, can recognize is the sound of their name. Even when someone yeah. says a name that sounds like theirs, people immediately look, hey, was that yeah. for me? It is yeah. it is such a your ear is so in tune to that sound of of your name. Yes. That no matter where it's said, you can hear it. Yeah, you can hear it. It's incredible. Yes. Anyway, so so you said um
0: you know uh, your your name would be pronounced differently uh in in your language or for Cubans. Can you how how would you pronounce it? How would your your dad pronounce it? Karel. Karel. Karel? Uh,
1: Karel. Karel. So got it. Got just got so you to understand, that, that is a uh it's basically a a, uh, a a Russian name or the Russia uh region, Russian name, and it means Carl or Carlos. That's all it is. Okay. So okay. it's it's nice. Carl in Russian. And and why do I have a Russian name being born in Cuba, growing up through eight through, through age of 10. Um, anyway, being born in Cuba really uh there was a strong Russian presence at the time. Soviet Union really. Yes. Um yes. and so a lot of kids had, you know, Russian names. My sister's name is Raisa. Raisa, if you remember back in Gorbachev, his wife's name was Raisa. Right? So it's a, it's a Russian name. We both got Russian names. Right. right. right.
0: Wow. Now, now that's interesting considering how opposed your father was to the regime.
1: Yeah. Well, my father didn't pick the name. My mom did. And it was because there was a Russian singer or Czech Republic at the time, singer named Karel Go or Karel Go, yes, right? Yes. That was popular in Cuba. And so she figured since my last name is Gomez and be close to Karel Gomez, Karel Go, and, and hence the story. A lot I of people were given my name in 1972
0: oh my goodness i love it um i i used to work with um uh, with the government and when i was working with the government here uh you know i used to see a lot of people and i got to see a lot of names and i'd always it was always interesting to me to ask people how they how they got their names and i found out that a lot of kids uh were a lot of guys were named after someone that their mom had a shining for uh, some actor Absolutely. Uh, I thought they probably didn't tell your dad that, did they? <laughs> they
1: Absolutely, the,
0: Robert Redford or something. Yeah, like
1: that. <laughs> yeah. It's it's. They were hoping that their boy would would look like their idol, um, yeah. and I look nothing like that that man from the seventies. But uh, right, right. Anyway, you know, uh, there's there's something that I, I do have a connection to Canada. When I left Cuba, we left Cuba in 1983, January of 1983 to be exact. And we left Cuba via Canada. So we flew from Havana, Cuba to Toronto. Yeah. Um, And so just picture this, right? I'm a 10 year old kid in a t-shirt in 84, 85 degree tropical weather. I get on an airplane that is a controlled environment, right? Um, Fly for three hours. And when the doors open, I'm in 15 degree weather and snowing, uh, freezing weather. I just couldn't comprehend that the world was so different. All my life, I only knew a tropical island. And all of right. a sudden, I'm, I'm in snow that's a foot deep. And um, I didn't want to put on the, uh, the jacket. I was like, no, I don't need this. And then the, the airport doors open, uh, Toronto International, the doors open, and that wind hit me. I almost fell back. I said, "Give me the jacket." It was—it was so cold, so cold. I hated the cold weather. So we lived in Toronto for a year, um, oh, wow. and and then we moved. We made our way down to much more the tropical weather that we were used to, and I've lived here in South Florida ever since. Oh wow, oh, that, that's funny, Mike. That's
0: Similar story to, to us as well. Uh, now, we actually came from, uh, I was born in Kuwait in the Middle East. And uh, same thing. My dad came in shorts and a T-shirt and we arrived in February in Canada and it was freezing cold. He got sick, got off the plane, of course, you know, freezing uh. cold. And uh, and uh, then we came here and, and we actually stayed uh, in Toronto until I ended up. Uh, in my early twenties, ended up moving out east and getting married and stuff like that. But um, but you you guys, of course, made that move further south. And uh, there's a lot of Canadians that that like to do that move uh, and come yeah. down there. Um, was that always the plan? What what was the impetus to make the change from Toronto to
1: the state? Well, we had no family in Canada, with the exception of our stepdad, who was the one who got us there. Stepdad yeah. at the time. He's passed since, um, and so the all our family lived here, and so my mom wanted to be close to the family. So it was always the plan that we would try and make our way down South Florida uh, when we legally could. Yeah. So yeah. when we were legally able to travel, uh, which was in a, a year's time, then then we did. Yeah. Oh, well, it's too bad. We might have ended
0: up seeing one another in uh, in the clubs or something had you stayed yeah. in Toronto. But <laughs> um, okay, so so you head down there. Life is completely different um, from what you've grown up with, what you experienced for a year here in Canada, and you're growing up, and uh, you're probably even getting into some fights there too, still about your name. But but now tell me, how did all of that lead into? to getting into business like was that you you went straight from school into business how did you make uh, that show
1: it's a it's, it's a very long road uh, look i grew up when when we got here to south florida my mom um very within the year separated so she became a single mother with two kids uh wow. living in south florida right we grew up pretty poor but Pretty humble and honest, right? Clean household, a lot of love, but very poor. Uh, and and so you know, my mom's car we bought with two hundred pennies. Her very first car had no brakes. You knew she was coming, so you got out of the road because she'd start braking two blocks away, so she can park at the house. Um, very poor, uh, but again, resiliency, right? We we talked about at the beginning yeah. of the show, and and what that taught me was I never wanted to be poor again. Uh, I don't find anything good about being poor, except it humbles you. Yes. And, and there's a lot of great people who unfortunately are not financially, uh, don't have financial freedoms, but I don't want to be poor. Let's just, let's, let's put it out there. I did not want to be poor. I I grew up poor. I didn't like it. I don't want to be poor. And so I quickly at, uh, At a very age at the age of 12 i started working right i would walk to the supermarket and carry people's bags uh for quarters so that i can make money and then you know i I remember i had to give all that money uh to my mom to help pay for the rent but it it taught me work right uh eventually uh through different jobs i end up in the phone company at uh at&t back then it was bell south uh, 17, turning 18, 1992, I get my first job, the phone and the phone company as a service rep, and um, it it solidified me in my telecommunications career because I spent the next 17 years in the phone company at AT T, right from Bell South to AT T, and I held different roles there, and so I learned communications, which is the industry that I'm in, but I still was not planning on having my own business i always had an entrepreneur mind and and try to do things on the side sell so some real estate and things of that nature but i i stuck to the corporate world um but um after i retired from at&t um i i, I went on to work for century link um for four years and from there on to Winstream all communications companies here in the in the u.s and um, eventually I found an opportunity to work for a company, a, a contractor uh, that did work for the service providers. And, and um, they wanted me to come run their company and through my relationships, help grow the business. And when I went to do that, that that bug of, of, of owning my own business really hit me. And so um, that was a company that was Zero employees, zero revenues when I started there to run the company in January 2013, uh, are very little revenues. They 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 have maybe nine hundred thousand dollars in a year in revenues, um, as a small, small business. And by the time I left them in mid-2015, they were doing just under 40 million dollars in revenue. And I did that, and I did that through my business model of growing a small business fast that I learned while being there, right? Of course, my relationships and communications helped me uh, to to do that, but what I learned was, hey, I can do this on my own. So when I left them, I came here and I bought 50% of this company, which was, again, four employees, five employees, four between four and six in a, the, the whole office, the whole company was an office model than the one I'm sitting in now. And that was September of 2015 when I bought. And within three years, we had over 400 employees working in 20 states, uh, doing well over $30 million in revenues. And 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 again, that's when I realized that my model really worked because now I've done it twice. And not only that, but it's, it's not that difficult. And so, my drive my perseverance all of that together with my skills in my industry helped me to to put together the the model but i can tell you that the model i use anyone can use to to grow their business quickly and then you know you get into the 4d's which i want to talk about if i can which are are yeah. the, the roots of any entrepreneur business owner and and so i don't know if you want to get into that now or you yeah. want to talk about what, what question. I, I, I you know. I'd on? love to
0: hear this because uh, you know I'm there, I'm very curious to hear how you created that model to to build it up and scale. That this
1: is fascinating. So we'll start with the four Ds, right? Yeah. Um, let Let me start before the four Ds. Let me say this: an entrepreneur is someone who is always looking to better themselves from where they are today, right? That in my opinion is what a true entrepreneur is and they do it through the creativity of creating business opportunities for themselves, right? If you don't have that kind of personality, it doesn't work to grow a business. You gotta have the personality. But if you do have the personality you feel like you're an entrepreneur at heart, then the four D's come into play, which are discipline, determination, dedication, and desire. By the way, I did not come up with these four Ds. These are not my original words. Uh, They have been said by others. Some folks use six Ds. I don't even know what the other two are. But these these four Ds, I did not get them off a book. I got them off of my experience. And I was sitting one day thinking about what got me here. And I realized that it was those four words that got me here. And I can tell you real quickly, discipline. First and foremost, you have to have the discipline to stick to what you want to do, and what you want to do, we'll call it, it is your goal, right? So whatever your goal is, and that doesn't matter, really, your goal could be anything. Okay, if you want to be a clown, that's your goal, right? But you have to be disciplined. And that means that nothing outside of your goal comes first or before your goal, And that's very tough to do because you have family, you have friends, you have your your things that you want to do in life outside of of your goal, and you have to be disciplined to make sure that they come second. And anyone who is a true uh, builder of, of something knows that what they're building has to come first. And you don't want to hurt people on the way, but your family has to be supportive of that goal and understanding that that goal is for the betterment of all, correct? But the goal has to be first. So discipline to stick to that. You have to be determined, which means no matter what obstacles, what fights you you have to get into, what uh, things are put in front of you to keep you from your goal, okay, you are determined to overcome them and continue chasing your goal correct yes, then you have to have termi- gets determination discipline and the dedication next because they're in order dedication you have to be dedicated primarily to your goal so if my dedication is to hanging out with my buddies or going fishing living in south florida because i want to have fun then my goal will not come first. And so then my goal will not be as successful as it could be. You have to be dedicated to your goal, fully dedicated, fully dedicated. Yeah. And yeah. lastly, you have to have the desire, the passion to reach your goal. You have to want it more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. Correct? So you have to have those four things to be to become successful. Most small business owners have the one of the four d's or two or three but not all four right Mm -hmm. they may have the desire they may have the want to to be a a a large business but they don't have the discipline they don't have the determination or they may not have the dedication dedication means you're always working on your goal you're always working on your goal Mm -hmm. if i'm on vacation i'm working on my goal and today my goal and your goal changes and we'll talk about that real quick but i 'm always working on my goal no matter where I am no no matter where I am I'm always working on my goal if I'm out of my boat I'm working on my goal if I'm if I'm out with a family at dinner I'm working on my goal you say well you're always working when do you have time to enjoy your life no I enjoy chasing yeah, yeah. my goal that's what I that's my passion and so I'm not I'm not giving up freedoms to chase my goal my goal is my fun it's my passion and so I don't give up anything because I like Mm -hmm. to to work towards my goal Um, and so small business owners have to understand that if they really want to grow their business then those sacrifices must be made and they must become not a sacrifice they must become what you want to do yes it it has to be what you want if it's a sacrifice then it's not a goal it is an obligation And obligations are there. We all have them, but they're just that obligations. and not the things you want, right? No one, wants, no one wants to pay bills. They're an obligation you have to pay. Um, but I want to work towards my goal. I just don't yeah. want to work to work, right? I don't want to go and dig a, a trench all day. There's no yeah. goal there. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you get it? I, um, well,
0: listen, I think what, what you're saying right there is, like when you start talking about sacrifice, I was like, mm, you know, if and then you and then you clarified it, um if it's, you know, if yeah. it's really what you want, then it's no longer sacrifice. And, exactly. and I was like, you probably saw me even jump up. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's it's really something to help people understand that there is there is balance. And that's the balance. <laughs> that that right. becomes the balance, right? you you become passionate about something you become excited if you're a builder right if you enjoy building something then uh, and and I say this to people when they're when they're telling me about hard work and I and this is what I'm hearing you say you correct me if I'm wrong but I say this to people I said if if you've got a if you've got a this is all hard work to you I said I'm going to beat you every day of the week Because I'm playing, I'm having fun and I'm, you know, I'll work hard because you're going to need to, to take a break because for you, it's, it's this hard work that you need to back off of. Whereas for me, I'm, I'm looking and I'm inspired. I'm enjoying, I'm playing and I'm getting rejuvenated. And that's what I hear you saying that if you really see that it'll actually rejuvenate
1: you in that direction. Absolutely. Look, work is work. It's yeah. something that you do because you have to. But when you're doing something that you want to do, it's no longer work. You know, it's funny. If I'm at my house and I am, you know, uh, fixing some something electrical that, that broke and I want to fix it myself and I don't want to call a repairman and I'm fixing I'm not working. I'm enjoying what I'm doing because I wanted to do it, right? Right. Right. And, and and so the physical act, we often call work, but the physical act is not work. Work is something that you do because you have to, not because you want to. Right. If you're physically active in something, even digging a trench, it, it, it's it's not work if that's what you want to do. But if somebody's telling you to do it, then it's work. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we have to understand the definition of work. Okay. Work is something that we do because we have to, not because we want to. But you're on this podcast now because you want to. And I'm yes. here because I want to. So I'm not working. I'm doing what I yeah. chose to do, yeah. right? Yeah. And, I, and I love to talk. So I, I you know, <laughs> you, you have to stop me. Um, and so the reason you and I are talking about this first is because small business owners have to realize that ninety percent of their success is based on their frame of mind, their where they are mentally with regards to how they approach their business. Right. If you approach your business as, oh, God, I got to get up. I got to go to work. And it's your own business. Forget it. Forget it. Like you said, you're going to beat them every time, Neil, because they're going to work where you're getting up and you're excited about who's my next guest. And after that guest, who else am I going to have? And how how is my podcast going to grow to to the the biggest podcast in the world? And so your mind is excited. And you Mm said that you're excited about what you're doing. It isn't work. It is just a task that yeah. you're performing towards the goal, which is growth of whatever your business is. And, and your business could be a nonprofit helping people. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the, again, the goal. So, yes, business owners have to have the right mindset first and foremost if you yeah. plan on being successful because my model only works if you have the right mindset. Otherwise, right. you're going to hate it the minute I start talking about it.
0: Yeah. No, nothing else – everything else follows your mindset right That's everything right. follows everything you do everything you say every everybody you surround yourself with all of that so so with that in mind you know here you're taking this you're coming over to this business and you're taking not the current one the one before this and you're you're taking it over and you're looking at it and you're thinking what? what? What's going through your mind of what can I do with this or what should I be doing? With, what, where was your mindset at when you first came over? All right. So here here's the question. The question is, you you came to, this, uh, to the previous company and you're looking to take it over and take it in a direction. What are you looking at? What are you thinking when you start that out? Because you didn't even have a system yet at that point in time, right?
1: No, um, no, I, so, I did not.
0: So you look uh, so, at that and you start thinking, what?
1: I, so I guess my creative side started thinking, what can I do to place this company in an industry that's already saturated with companies as ours to put this company on the map? What can I do to avoid the competition which is already in place, has a head start and is fiercer than me because I'm the newcomer, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I have not a lot of experience running a business. I come from the corporate side. And and what I realized was that you have to, I started thinking of of my electrical <laughs> engineering background said, take the path of least resistance, right? Electricity always takes the path of least resistance
0: Yeah, that's um, right.
1: to ground. And yeah. so, that's what popped into my head. I said, wait a minute, why don't I go and offer my services? This is before I have my model, offer my services where nobody wants to go. Right? Yes. And people are like, oh, well, why would you do that? Because I'm not gonna have any competition, any pushback. Yeah. Right? So what I did was I said, okay, I'm in the communications industry, serving telecommunication companies, in their engineering and construction services, right? Said, let me call the folks over there and ask them, where do you need the help? Rather than say I'm in South Florida and so I'm gonna ask you to give me work in South Florida, right, which is what most small business owners do. They set up and we'll talk about geofencing, which is the biggest mistake a small business owner can make. You know, geographically fence in their business in an area, but most small business owners Whatever city they're in, they go and look for work in that city. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're usually in a big city. Most entrepreneurs start off in a big city. But what if you went to your clientele, your customers, or your potential customers, and and ask them, where do you need the help? Anywhere in the country? Where do you need the help? Because it's easier to do that than to try and ask for a piece of a pie that's already being served.
0: Yes. Right.
1: Yes. And yeah. so, where can I help you? It's an easier approach than, can you give me some of your work here where you already have everybody helping you?
0: Yeah. Most of the yeah. time, they're going to tell you, well, I've already got all the help I, I can get. A, yeah. I don't know, you know, maybe I'll throw a bone
1: your way or something. No. Yeah. I called yeah. the customers and said, anywhere in the country, where do you have, where do you have the need for my services? Yeah. And by the way, I don't have people all over the country, so... I'm gambling at this point, right? Um, but they said, well, and I remember the first one, I was like, we need help in Wisconsin. We got an area in Wisconsin. Nobody wants to work in us. it's Too cold, it's too this, too that. No beggars can be chooser. I said, great. What can I do for you there? Well, we need help in, in X. And I, I can't get into the specifics because of of of, of non-disclosures and all that stuff. But basically it was, we need your help doing X here in this area. I said, great. Give me 30 days to establish in that area. Remember, they don't have anybody doing the work. Don't wait 60. (laughs) Don't wait 60. And so I'll take it. And I I knew I had nobody in Wisconsin. I didn't have anything, but now my You've never even been to Wisconsin (laughs) at that point. But now my focus shifted from finding the work to finding the people to do the work, which is a lot easier. So I reached out to went to companies that were in the same line of work that I was in in Wisconsin, who could use more work, and said, "Hey, could you use a contract here that can, you know, boost your your revenues?" "Oh, sure. What do you want in return?" "Nothing. I'll take a small percentage. You do the work. Just gotta use my company's name. You know, you are a sub of ours. Great. And so." Once I realized that I kept asking all my customers, where do you need the help? Where do you need the help? And so here's where geo-fencing comes in. One of the the first big mistake, and, and, and I've talked to this about this before, one of the biggest mistake a small business owner makes is they want to do work in the town that they live in or they've grown up in all their lives, and that's where they feel comfortable, right? You've got to train your mind. That, that comfort zone, you've got to get out of that comfort zone. The comfort zone has to be redrawn. And so small business owners have to realize that in order to grow your business significantly, you have to make the whole world your playing field, right? And and we have stuck to the U.S. Uh, because of, of, you know, the the staying within the guidelines of the US and, and it's enough to grow your business fast. Um, so if you live in Canada or you live in the US, make Canada your whole your whole yeah. geographic area. And if you live in the US, make the US your whole geographic area. Don't make the, town of my- the, the city of Miami my whole area, right? Or if you live in a big city like Toronto, um, okay, I'm only gonna work in Toronto. Well, everybody wants to work in Toronto, it's the biggest city or one of the biggest city there. Right. And and so, of course, you're going to have competition. But if I go out to the countryside, you know, the, the, there, may, there may be a need for my services there. And I don't have to place an office there. I just have to make phone calls. And, and in today's environment, for crying out loud, where everything is via the Internet, you can find the need in the places where the need exists. Correct. And you build your business that way. And yes, you can still pick up business locally, but you're building, you're picking up big business in the areas where nobody wants to go because they're dying to give it away. You you get it? So, (laughs) geographic fancy is the first thing you have to remove. Okay. Okay. We're going to have to
0: cancel this uh, podcast. We can't do this because you're giving away my blueprint right now (laughs) on what I did with my my real estate business. So, so guys, this is cut off. No, uh, <laughs> it's, it's look, you're you're speaking to me directly. I um, in within the area of finance and mortgage and mortgage investment, what you're talking about is exactly what I did when I got started, because I came over from working a job and then I came over to the side and I was like, everybody else here has already been doing this for this long. I'm nobody well, let me find, let me expand. And nobody wanted some of these other areas. And so, um, lo and behold, everything that you are saying right now, 100% true. If you're listening right now, what this man is preaching, you need to be
1: taking note of. So with that note. It's it's so, it's so, for someone like me, Neil, where I I want to help and, and I want to help entrepreneurs and small business owners not go through the heck hell that i went through when they don't listen to the simplicity that it is to build this this model which is again no geofencing going to where no one wants wants to go and focusing on getting the business not doing the work right um excuse me when you realize how simple it is it just boils down to you, the individual business or sort of deciding this is what I want to do and stop mm. dealing with all the excuses that you make for yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well you know what I what I would say about that that I found was it, it I, I did that because I was like, I need to make money. and I don't know how to compete yet. When I was starting out, I didn't know how to compete with the people in this established market you know specifically we'll talk about toronto i didn't know how to compete with these millions of people and all of these uh these people in the industry and here's all this business that they said they didn't even want and so i was like well okay i don't need to compete with them let's bring in some revenue and then that allowed me to be able to then move into the other spaces so to some degree it was just about getting kicked off and how to how to survive initially and and learn to grow for me um so i'm i'm really Absolutely. interested as you continue as you continued that so you started you started here you started picking up clients and um contracts in different places because you didn't restrict yourself to what everybody else does <laughs> and you probably got more lucrative contracts as as a result and you're not okay. doing
1: the work in my first three months we had nine million dollars worth of work in hand so now the problem became who's going to do it but it's a yeah. different problem most <laughs> business owners spend their whole life trying to bring new business in uh and then they do the work themselves and so they only bring enough business that they can handle themselves so you, you can't grow out of that and when you work in the business and not on the business. It's it's this right. is the most important statement I made. As a business owner, you must work on the business, not in the business. Yeah. Give you the example of the plumber. A plumber who starts a business and is still plumbing is working in the business, and they're just a self-employed individual, which is the worst place to be. You might as well go back to working for a company because as a self-employed individual, you're doing the work and you have all the burden. Of all the business obligations, insurance, yeah. uh, all the licenses, yeah, all, sorry, of yeah, all of that. You got to deal <clears> with all that. And you're doing the work. You don't have a life. Now you're a slave of your so called own business. That is the worst place to be. For that, I go mm-hmm. back to work for somebody on an hourly rate. And at least all I have to worry about is the work. I don't have to worry about anything else. Right. So if you're going to be a business owner or you already are a business owner, start working on the business, not in the business. If you're a plumber, who goes into business for himself or herself, then start to work on the model of growing your business, building the, the the workforce, and handing it off to someone else to do the work. So you're working on the growth of your business, not plumbing. Um, I give you, Can you a- I ask you
0: a question about that. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, obviously, if hey, if if you're listening right now and you love to do plumbing. And that's what you want to do. And you want to work for yourself. That's great. But now what, what you're talking about is, is building a business. And so if someone wants to go from, okay, great. I know how to do this, this task. I know how to do plumbing, but I want to build this business. I don't, I don't understand these variables of bringing people in. And how do I, how do I step into that and, and open up and, what we would call scale. How would I? How would I scale so that now I've got people that are going to do that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know the book, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. It's on the shelf um, right there. <laughs> it, it's great. There's a quote in there, right, that he talks about. Um, and, and this is this is, I use this with everybody. You know, I do some public speaking for the SBA office, US DOT department to small business, you know, in person. Um, and I always ask them this this very simple figure, which is in the book. How many hours of work can one person do in an eight-hour day? <laughs> the answer is eight hours, mathematically, right? The most you can do in an eight-hour day is eight hours. Now, how many hours of work can two people do in the same eight-hour day, right? 16, and so on, and so on, and so on. The point in the book and the point that I'm trying to make is you cannot do it all by yourself. So, yes, you must first learn about running a business. What are the parts of the business, right? What encompasses a business? Because, again, if I'm the plumber, I've only been doing plumbing all my life, so I know how to fix pipes and stuff, but I don't know anything about business, correct? You've got to read. You've got to educate yourself. You've got to be smarter than you were before, okay? And so you've got to listen to podcasts like yours, listen to people who have done it. So you start learning. You know, the the basic components of a business are revenue, costs, expenses, and profits in in a very, very simple format. So you've got to learn that. You've got to learn the difference between costs and expenses because they're not the same thing. A small business owner usually thinks, everything is the same no there's a difference between expenses and cost cost is what it costs you to produce what you sell and expenses are the fixed expenses of the business that are needed whether you're producing something or not correct so you you've got to learn the basics of business but going back to your question as a plumber i'm just starting out i have two ways of doing this i hire someone who has experience in business to help me run the financial side of the business, or I go become real educated in this really fast. Right. And again, that's where your dedication to your business comes and you spend long nights reading and learning, which I did because I was not educated either. I, I learned how to get the work. Okay. Now, how do I make it profitable? Hell, I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I got to work the most important part. Okay. Um, and so, You've got to put in the time, have the discipline, determination, dedication, desire, put in the time to learn about financing the business, not financing the business, the money side of the business, correct? Which includes financing the business. Mm -hmm. So you've got to become educated, Um, but you have to surround, you've got to hire a staff. And the first thing you had to tell yourself as the plumber, right, is I am no longer a plumber. I am now a business owner who knows the trade of plumbing better than anyone, right? Because that's why I went into business for myself. And so I am going to build a business around what I know how to do, utilizing people to do it. And you can never, ever again pick up a wrench to do the work. Because once you pick up the wrench, you're back to working in the business. In my example, I was a lineman, a telephone lineman, climbing post, fiber splicer, cable place, all of those things, right? But the minute I became a business leader and a business owner, I never again touched it. And when I saw there was a job that needed help and I knew how to fix it, but I didn't go fix it. The people I hired to do it had to fix it. I can give guidance as a leader. Hey, I advise that the best thing to do is this and this and this, but I didn't go do it. Because the minute I did it, I took my focus off my business. I give you direction. I give you directives. I give you timelines, right? I give you support, but I do not give you my physical, hands-on work because then I'm back to being the labor and not the the guy leading or the woman leading the business. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, sorry, I, I, I'm I'm listening. I, I'm like, what taking
0: notes. I'm like, this is great because it, I I love your mental attitude right there. Just about, I'm not picking anything up. Uh, you're not picking up that wrench again. And you kind of slapped me across the face there because I was like, I was thinking in terms of real estate, there are portions of it that I enjoy. And I was like, uh, Neil, you need to stop picking up the wrench. You want to take it the next level? you're going to have to train somebody else and you're going to have to let them become the expert now in doing that portion of
1: it. Exactly. Now, here's the other misconception the small business owners have because I run into this all the time. Well, if I hire people, there goes all my profits. No. Right. Wrong. The stronger your team, the bigger your team, the more you can produce. It is not about making 50, 60% profit on one job It's about making 15% profit on a hundred jobs. Okay. When you do the math, you realize you're making more money. It's about making money. It's not about making a lot of money on one job. So the more staff you have those, the more those eight hours can do for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you don't start and have, like we have a whole accounting team and a whole HR department no, you don't get there right away. You, you build that slowly. But your workforce has to be huge immediately. And you do that via your subcontractors. Again, you are finding the work. You are finding the work and you find the formula mathematically that makes you the right amount of money. And understand this, small business owner, when you start and nobody knows you, your profit margins got to be smaller. You cannot say, okay. This plumbing company has been around for 100 years and is publicly traded and makes 40% profit. I should be charging the same thing because that's the industry center. No, you can't, you're just getting started. So first of all, you have to have better pricing than anybody else because nobody knows you. That's the bottom line. And you have to pay better than anybody else because nobody wants to work for you because nobody knows you. In your example, Neil, in real estate, you may have to, or you may have had to in the past, giving up higher percentages of commission just to attract people to work with you because they don't know you. Yeah. They don't know you and they may know you, but they don't know your ability to pay. Yes. And so you've got to incentivize them by giving them a better deal than the rest of the world. Don't lie to yourself and think that you are equal just because you're a great plumber. You're the best plumber in the world. Don't think that you are as good as Roto-Rooter or one of those companies, right? You're not. You you have to realize your place in in your industry, and then work take advantage of it in the sense of utilizing it to your best interest by by creating a model that works for you, not mimicking a model of a large corporation that just doesn't fit your mold. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I love what you're talking about here, and uh, obviously, I've reached uh, we've reached our time, and so. I definitely want to have you back so we can continue to speak about this. But, and the scaling is important. Um, and I think it's really important for uh, small business and self employed people to understand this piece because so many of us sacrifice our time doing these things, not understanding how to make this. This shift, right? Not understanding how we need to change m- mentally to be able to make this shift. And um, and as a result, so often self-employed and small business owners end up breaking down at some point. And if you've not built what you're talking about, there isn't there isn't the place to even be able to break down, right? Because right. they break down and everything stops, the income stops. And and what we're seeing, this podcast, I really started not intentionally, but out of the pandemic and people messaging me on social media saying, what do we do? And, um, and I thought someone needs to speak into it. And so what I love about what you're sharing here is that this is you coming from where you've come from, right? You coming from down low and being able to build. And a lot of people just don't have that, uh, mentality that experience to be able to do that and know where to go because we are in a world where people are inundated with oh we can tell you how to do all of this stuff but yet they've never done it themselves. And mm-hmm. so what I love is that you're giving real grassroots from the bottom uh advice and direction, you know, let's call it direction not advice because this is what you've done and how you've scaled and I think it it's really uh, motivating, because it really talks about the leadership that you had to take yourself first, and then you were able to apply that to your business. And so, uh, Corell, I I definitely uh, want to thank you so much. We're gonna, you know, if you guys are listening, this is part one. We're gonna we're gonna have a part two, and uh, we are going to have uh, Corell come back, uh, Mr. Gomez come back, and teach us some more about how to scale and how to build your business from from zero uh, to, you know, you said now you've got, what, over 400? Over 400. 400. Our
1: team is is closer to 500 strong um, without counting our subcontractors. And, you know, we operate in 22 states today.
0: Yeah. Right? And if you're watching this on YouTube, look at how good this man looks. I mean, you know. (laughs) Uh, Actually, funny. When I saw you, I thought you you look like um, you remind me of a football coach, uh, Marvin Lewis. Um, Uh. Look a little bit like Marvin Lewis, but you look in better health than than he does. So
1: thank you, thank you, thank you. Look, I I appreciate
0: you coming on. I I want I want to have you back again. We're gonna make it happen, and uh, we're gonna do round two.
1: Neil, I would love to be back on your show. I would love to to sit back down with you and, and talk about scaling and how you scale a business and, 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 and grow it. There's 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 a model. There's part of the model is is, is about that. And I love to talk about it and, and, you know, help our listening audience of small business owners and self-employed individuals move into becoming small business owners, not become a self-employed individual and just, yeah. just really reach the, the dream that they had when they went into business for themselves because, again, if you and I can do it, anyone can. Wow, I love it. Well, guys, if you're,
0: if you're stoked, if you're excited by what we're talking about, you're going to have to uh, come back for part two and uh, and listen as Corell really shares with us and breaks down this next part of scaling your business and uh, growing massive profits, going... Uh, talking in the millions rather than uh rather than dreaming about the millions so yeah uh, definitely bro, thank you so much uh we thank you, Neil. definitely look forward to seeing you again uh soon thank you take care have a wonderful day god bless everybody all right thanks a lot leadership to wealth podcast thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll see you again for part two with Corel gomez